1: welcome to the four corners podcast i'm shad with matt and brad guys ho 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 are ya
2: good good Shad. this uh this episode should be coming right before christmas yep yes. really days days before christmas just, just
0: mere, mere hours days
2: before christmas
0: mm-hmm. mere multiple 24 hour blocks before christmas it really um it does not feel like christmas this year
2: it doesn't i've been like too busy to actually think much about christmas to be honest with you
1: i've just been working to try and very much enjoy uh as much as i can on it but and just not been able to to really settle in on the season but anyway we hope that you all are having a great christmas or great holiday season, whichever one it is you celebrate, we're gonna get our shout outs taken care of. First one's hey, gonna go yes.
2: No, hey hey Chad, can I actually yes. get my shout out yeah first? Yeah. Okay great. Great. Uh so I wanna also oh as always give a shout out to Orlando Cologne, uh our favorite wrestler on this show. Hey hey what is that? <laughs> I hear jingle bells. What you hear jingle bells? What what's what's going on? let me look outside. Oh my God. It's Santa Orlando. <laughs> I see him. He's dropping off a package for me. He's dropping off a gift. And what's in that gift, Shad? What's in that gift? It's fantastic. It is. Attire from Color Orlando. and Elbow, the wrestling <laughs> brand. Use the yes. promo
1: code for Corners Podcast. That's the number four, Capital C, Corners, Capital P, Podcast. Say 10% off your order from Santa Orlando. <laughs> it's a gift to us and to all of you. Absolutely. Ooh, that's a that's a hot start. I guess we better yeah. start tapering off. What are we doing
0: tonight, Brad? Well, um we're going to we we have a bit of a dual episode. We're going to briefly touch on the final ring of honor show as we know it and um we're going to discuss top 5 managers, which I think that's going to be a pretty standard issue. Mm-hmm. For most of them. Uh, We're not going to be talking about douchebag Hannibal assaulting that referee.
1: We don't want to give him any more coverage.
0: Nope. But he is a douchebag. Yep. And I really don't want to hear him crying about Abdullah um, giving him hepsi anymore.
1: I don't want to hear anything out of him other than him crying as they drag him away after sentencing. That's the only time I want to hear anything out of him.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, so. um, I guess we'll hit Ring of Honor first. Final battle is this weekend, um, which ended with Jonathan Gresham capturing the ROH World title because, I guess, Bandito could not get cleared for COVID. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, that's been a running issue with him. Because, remember, he was the guy that had the—no, an- was that Dragon Lee, maybe? He had COVID, or he had the antibodies. But um, he was not allowed to wrestle because of that. So they did Jonathan Gresham versus Jay Lethal. And um, Mm -hmm. also notable is AEW let their stars send videos of their fond remembrances of Ring of Honor and working there. And wouldn't you know it? WWE sent zero.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't even know that AEW would even say let them. It's just AEW says as long as you're, you know, coming to our shows, doing your job, then. You can do other stuff, so... He, then again, Tony Khan did say that he was going to be sending some stuff over, so maybe it was a company initiative to send it.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> he... Yeah,
2: he lent Jay Lethal, who obviously has uh, more recent years. He's had a, a very long uh, history with Ring of Honor. He was their champion for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he let him come back and wrestle in the main, but that's that doesn't seem like much of a, a gift, only because uh, up until, like, what, a month or two ago, like, Lethal was was with Ring of Honor, mm-hmm. but uh, we did see some other cool stuff, not just like the video segments that people sent in. But there was a there was a segment where there was effectively a pull apart brawl f- by the Briscoes and FTR, Oh cool. which which is obviously leading. Most people were thinking that it's leading. I think accurately they're thinking it's going to lead to a, uh, a match down the road. I right. think
0: um, that tweet about who <laughs> AEW signed is pretty accurate because I'm pretty sure the Briscoes are signed and I'm pretty sure Dan Housen is signed.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have a link to that tweet? I no, be real it's
0: old. It's, it's them, it's Dan Housen, Jay Lethal, and like the Roosh Bandito and Dragon Lee. Mm-hmm.
2: Gotcha. Don't. <laughs> uh, th- I think also Brody King.
0: Yeah, Brody King.
2: That's that's actually, like, the group that I probably would sign. Like, Ruchin and, and Bandito have ties, obviously, to Andrade, and they're those two... on uh, Dragon Lee. They're all, like, crazy talented, and definitely, like, AEW is trying to build uh, a contingent of Lucha stars, uh, and having those three on their roster would be, like, a, a great idea.
0: And rush has... Um, rush is, like, a star.
2: <clears throat> yeah. Uh... And who else do we list? Uh, well, Danhausen has is like fantastic. He's a lot of entertainment value, even if he's not like an active wrestler. Uh, uh, Brody King has ties to Malachi Black. Um, he'd be a good fit. Um, and I say, I Briscoes are like almost like a no-brainer. They they should have they should have been having like a run with a major promotion probably you know years ago, except that comments that they had made kind of yeah uh, rented that. Uh, I think that Tony Khan should bring those people in. He's like foolish to not, um, and I say that even though I have made comments before and I, I stand by them that they are they have like too many people on their roster. Like they should, they should really kind of face out some people. It
1: seems to me that there are some people that are, are uh, contracts are ending and they're just saying, well, okay, that that was your your time here, and you know, good mm-hmm. luck. And it's it's not like, oh, you know, we're cutting you at this point. It's just like, oh, you know, we're, that's where we are, so.
0: Yeah, it's it's frustrating if you watch, like, all the programming, though, because, like, you can go, like, a solid month without seeing certain people. Like, you could go a month without seeing, like, Red Velvet pop up on any of the shows. That's true. and That's true. Yeah. That's you gotta at least be able to get everyone on your roster in a match once a month on T
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh they're guys that I think that they can either let the contract expire. Like I I don't see any good rationale for having someone like Luther still on your roster. So I, someone I, like, I
0: like him. I like Luther and Serpentico mm-hmm. though, because they're really just they do serve a purpose that few people do, in being jobbers to the stars, mm-hmm. and being high-end jobbers. Like I think they're perfectly fine like that. Like they are, they're guys I would keep just for that role. Because even like um, I, even like uh-huh. the um oh what's um Peter Peter Avalon's group? Oh, the,
1: about, wingmen? Yeah, the Wingmen.
0: Yeah, the Wingmen. Like even them. Like you're never gonna push them, but I love having them around just because they're so much fun.
2: Yeah. See that's the thing. I would I would not keep Luther, but people like the Wingmen. I actually do think that they have a, a good utility as like named jobbers, uh, and I think that they can be really entertaining sometimes. I just
1: having a gimmick that's fun goes a long way, and people enjoy it. Um, there were some uh, there were some people when I was working that they they hated any gimmick that wasn't dead serious. And then they wondered why the silly, you know, people doing some silly stuff got over so big. Or, What's wrong with these people? Why do they like that? It's like, I don't know. They came to a show to be entertained, and they, they want to, you know, chuckle and have a good time. I wonder what the deal is.
0: You know you know what? Yeah. The, the guys that, that want that, though, or the guys that are in the business and then wonder why they get over it. It's like if you're sitting through a three-hour show of deadly serious stuff – And then some guy comes out and wants to, like, jam a finger up someone's ass. You know what you're going to remember? You're going to (laughs) remember the one spot where a guy tried to jam his finger up someone's ass for a laugh instead of, like, the umpteenth, like, suicide dive to the outside. You're going to
1: remember the different. Because it stands out.
0: Or, you know, it's, it's, it's the same principle of... Of... Oh, well, they just did a garbage match. Why is it... Why did that get such a pop? Like, because it's been three and a half hours and I've seen wrestling for three and a half hours. Like, of course my eyebrows are going to perk up when you get the trash can of plunder out.
1: Yeah. Well, cause it's, it's fun and different and yeah, that, I always tried to have my work style be a little different because it, it was, you know, it'd be, it's too easy to blend in. If everybody's throwing arm drags and hip tosses and stuff, it's just like, God, Okay. First of all, everybody's doing it. Second of all, no one's gonna be like, "Oh man, I like watching that guy. He can really throw a hip toss." Like, uh, so I always try to do stuff that was at least a little different. Um,
0: yeah, because like, like if you're if you're in a long enough show, you're gonna have seen it all after two hours.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's only so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, so much that you're gonna come across, and that was, I think, part of the issue um with I, I i in my head it's labeled as the indie riffic style um that kind of gave came to rise in the the latter end of the knots and into the teens it was it's like yeah those are cool spots but everybody's doing that stuff so now i i enjoy it less because everybody's doing that stuff
0: yep definitely uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm. I have not watched Ring of Honor in a long time, but I think it is sad to see such a historically significant company that gave so much to the business go away. Because they're they're saying they're going to go dark and come back, but in my opinion, I've I have to, never to my knowledge have <laughs> I ever known something to intentionally go dark with the. With the purpose of coming back with a different take to ever work, mm-hmm. because you just lose too much. Because in my opinion, you lose you lose mind share, which is really important. Um, you just there's a certain level of momentum to constantly producing content that just if you break that, like if we went dark as a podcast for two months just to retool, I don't think it would last coming back. Just because I think we would be out of the habit. And there's a certain level of momentum to doing something over and over to keep the.
2: You don't want too long of a hiatus. Like if they're like, if they, if they, their idea was like, look, uh, we're having this pay-per-view and then we're going to like go dark for two weeks. We're going to be back in, in January, even like a month. People would be like, oh, okay, well, it's only like a month, but the fact that they're going to go dark for at least what, allegedly three and a half, four months. It's like that's you don't want, especially nowadays. Like there is so much wrestling content out there. Yeah. You don't want to give people a reason to be like, okay, I guess I don't need to watch your show. Yeah. Like you don't get the momentum. Like companies that are actually did went on hiatus because of the pandemic and then came mm-hmm. back. Uh, like like NWA and Power. Like they, had, they haven't, they have not reclaimed what they lost. Now part mm-hmm. of that's because like a, a lot of their talent got cannibalized. That's kind of the same. Yeah. that that ring of honor is uh it, even like pwg PWG used to be like the like indie out there mm-hmm. uh, and they kind of have lost a lot of ground uh, they've kind of been uh superseded kind of basically like game changer wrestling because like yeah. game changer wrestling was putting out content
0: well game changer came pretty back much, like game changer came mm-hmm. back like after three months they came back yeah, in the came... summer of last year, and I don't think PWG started running until this summer.
2: No, and they've even uh, I think Game Changer is is based in the Midwest, but they they clearly have started to take over for PWG like in, in a major way. Like they're they're now running shows in the West Coast, and yeah. that's like uh, they're kind of in your backyard PWG. Uh, and PWG the the shows that they've done so far. I think are pretty good, but still it's like you, you've lost a lot of momentum. So a, a, a show like Ring of Honor, like it could in theory work, but I don't know. I, I, I think things are dubious and I don't think there, there are signs which aren't good. Like our friend, a friend of the show, Damien. Yeah. He ordered, he ordered the pay-per-view and he was sharing some stuff that he was seeing like on social media about it. And people on social media were posting pictures of like the, the, uh, the merch stand at the pay-per-view like live uh how much the were they selling stuff for they were selling t-shirts for literally one to two dollars and he he said and he he sent that to to me and it's like and a couple of our friends and his cash was just like they ain't coming back man no
0: Which Or is like the dvds it, like a it, couple bucks too
2: i don't know but when you're doing you're selling stuff for one to two bucks like you're liquidating yeah you're out and you're i understand out. I understand if you want like a fresh start, but still, it's like that's that's rough, man. Like that that to me, like that does not scream like I'm coming. For, I'm, we're coming back in like four months.
0: For one to two dollars, like one to two dollars tells me that you're just trying to see if you can like get some walking around money before you chuck it in the dumpster after the show.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. it's um that kind of closeout is never a. Like, hey, you know, we're we're filling up our uh, getting the coffers filled up so that we can come back, you know, come back strong. And that's like, yeah, like you said, Brad, this getting what we can get out of it while we can. If in the for what it's worth department, if it had been if they had said to me. I don't know why they would, but if they had said to me, hey, you know, we're wanting to relaunch Ring of Honor and, you know, how are we going to do this? My first response then was going to be, OK, first thing we got to do, guys, Where the way I would do it is I'm going to like start hyping the relaunch and I'm going to coast with what you've got going right now for a while. It's like we're just going to coast on this and then whenever we get close to the relaunch, then we'll make the big change. But we're I'm not going to like tank this in the uh in the meantime well, like you know the,
0: the, the thing is too though why you could have done final battle and then you could have just paid like the talent out to do like four months worth of tv like just in a straight shot of like a couple of days
2: yeah those episodes yeah. are only like a uh, an hour long right yeah less with, less with commercials like yeah you could it would have been like long taping schedules but you literally you could have run like two um, Eight-hour days and gotten sixteen shows worth of, of content, mm-hmm. uh, which would have scared you into like probably like uh, April.
0: And I don't even think they were shooting TV in front of fans at this point, so I mean they didn't even need to do it in front of fans.
1: You're right, but you know you coast and you keep stuff going so that it doesn't just roll over and die, but then you start hyping. It's like you know. ROH 2.0 or something like that is coming. And so you're doing all this prep work. And so by the time you've, you've played out all of the, the taping that you've already got done and that sort of stuff, you're ready to throw the, the new stuff on TV or live shows or whatever.
0: Cause even like better promotions that had more momentum, I don't even feel like MLW has recovered from their break oh yeah and no. i mean jakara never did they they went another like seven years and i don't think they ever recovered from their shutdown angle creatively no, at least
2: they never
1: did that's a shame that's a crime I, I,
2: I still don't understand why they did that I, I i heard so many rumors at the time and i don't know
0: i don't know what's true be anymore the,
2: to me they seemed plausible. Like I've heard people say, like, oh no, no, it was always planned. And it's like, was it though? I mean, they shut down and if it was just a, a storyline or some sort of gimmick they were running, like it's failed spectacularly because if you if it wasn't like a work clinic closed down, people took it that way. Like they really believed, Oh yes, their their scar's done. Yeah. So whenever they, when they came back, like months later, people were like Oh, you're back. Okay, well, whatever. Like it, all the momentum is gone, all of
0: it. I kind of wonder if someone like Bix would know if you asked him just like as a question. I wonder if he knows, or if he would be going off of the same Indie window as everyone else. Because mm-hmm. Meltzer, it's too—they're not a promotion. Meltzer would pay attention to, so I doubt he would have the, the a single clue, or have the right connections for that. But that seems like something that Bix would have an idea of. I think. Hmm. Or something that he would have... He would know the people that would know. But I don't even mm-hmm. know how many people actually know either. Because, I mean, the most plausible one seems to be the divorce one. But mm-hmm. I don't know how true that is. Again. Right. So, we'll see. Um, But yeah, it's sad. But... um. It's actually funny I was looking back when they first announced the closure and just to see us talking about their downfall in like 2019 yeah 2018 my apologies in 2019 oh, okay but, and then we just stopped talking about them because they kind of became irrelevant
1: yeah yeah that's it, it just kind of faded into the background yeah and that that's a shame like you said for a company that had such a big impact. On the uh, on the landscape. I mean, I guess to be fair, you could say something similar about WCW too. But um, Ring of Honor just didn't have the same kind of. They had a a huge, um, huge impact, but they didn't have the same kind of reach. I guess. Yeah. That's what definitely. I'm looking for. So, but you know, so many of the people that we see on TV today that are that are stars came out of that. So
0: Yep. So then um we we kinda so just to give a heads up. Our our recording schedule's kinda kinda slapped <laughs> in weird with Tim's thing, so we're probably gonna run a best of for the final show of the year just because we can't make the recording schedule work around everything yeah, this time. Um that's true. We've had with the live streaming for Tim, it's not a big deal, but then I had my surgery. We just had to double record a couple times, and we just could not pull a rabbit out of our hat for that one. So that's yeah. going to be a best of. I have not decided what that is yet. I think I'm just going to do, like, I want to put the the Liger versus Muda match in there somewhere. So maybe it'll just be, like, oh, matches yeah. we really loved.
1: Sure. Ma- matches we gushed about. Yes. <laughs> I could see that. But uh what was our other topic for tonight gonna be?
0: So we, we kinda we're talking about top five managers, which I think we, we really when you talk about managers, um I think for people of our age the top couple spots are pretty <laughs> pretty standard issue. I think everyone has the same ones. Um there are a lot we of might good choices
1: about who's in, in which spot, but yeah.
0: There's anyway, some go ahead. there's some older one, managers I think are really great, but you know they weren't like of our era and I haven't seen like as much of them, and especially like you know, the the Grand Wizard and Freddie Blassie and Lou Albano, WWE just treated managers different for a long time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it, there's, a, unless you were a standout a lot of managers just did not get an opportunity to really show what they could do.
0: Well, the way that the WWWF worked in the senior days is it was a face territory. And actually Memphis kind of worked this way with Jimmy Hart is the heels kind of came and went pretty quickly. Like the, the constant mainstays were the, is they're called the three wise men, which are Freddie Blassie, Lou Albano and the grand wizards. So they were the, they were really the antagonist and then their cast of characters was an ever evolving door of guys coming in.
1: Right. They would they would go and um you know, recruit the new secret weapon.
0: Yeah. So that, that worked a little differently. Um but like I said, there's footage of those guys, but you don't really get a great feel of like their week in and week out impact unless you've had access to the T V. Right, right. So um, I think um, I think for my top spot, we'll just go top down. But I think my top spot, I think really for me, it's a it's a conversation between Jim Cornette and um, Bobby Heenan, and I think Jim Cornette just edges him out a little bit for me. Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm. What what makes Corny uh, edge for you?
0: Because I think he's a better promo than Heenan is overall. Okay. Like Heenan, Heenan has a certain style that's really good, but like, but like Jim Cornette can just like riff and he's funny, and you know he does like the ring announcing stuff, and he's just far more like obnoxious and like he feels much more if like Jim Cornette's managing someone, he feels like he is an integral part of the act, whereas Bobby Heenan is important, but he feels like he is um kind of to the side and you can argue that that's what a manager should do
1: or Heenan overshadows who he manages. Yeah. Um, I'm in this spot where, I mean, obviously it's between these two and really we're splitting hairs on, on picking who's going to be in which spot, but I'm going to agree with you. I want to throw another reason in there. When Heenan was a heel, The problem was, it seemed to me, that Heenan was too funny for me to hate as much. Like, Cornette could be funny, but God, you just, you still hated his weaselly-ass little guts, you know? Yeah. It's like, you pissant little punk, as opposed to, Heenan's talking, and Heenan is coming across honestly as, as, too funny and likable sometimes even as being a heel manager for me to hate him as much. Um, also the, the, the sheer obnoxiousness of, you know, this, this mama's boy guy who just whacks someone with a tennis racket over the course of the match. Like, well, why do you have a tennis racket with you? He's like, well, cause I carry a tennis racket with me. What are you going to do about it? It's like, Ooh, you know, like it's, it, it, he is just so much more obnoxious, um, and it's not a—that's not a dig on on him. Like I said, we're we're splitting hairs to put one in the other, and this is also just a taste thing. But for me, Corny's just better at being obnoxious.
0: I also feel like WWE did not use their managers the same way Southern territories did. Because if you wanted, if you wanted the faces to get one over on the midnight express without the midnight express looking bad, you just had them corner Cornette and like tear his pants off and like, you know, smack him around a little bit. Kind of like when they did, um, because he's on the list, but like when Joe choked out Paul Heyman before his match with Lesnar Like, that is an excellent use of, like, a manager. Yeah. To get...
1: Here, Brad, I have a Cornette example for you. Jim Ross, this is our celebration cake, and you can't have any. And what happens is the Midnights are wandering around with streamers and throwing them in people's faces and being obnoxious, and the rock and roll run out there, shove his face in the cake, and then take off. Why? Because screw you, Jim Cornette.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh. I actually would agree. Uh, I'll, there's, there's not much like <laughs> uh, conflict here with our, our choices. I absolutely love Bobby, love him. I, one of the best wrestling personalities of all time. He's just mm-hmm. hilarious. He was so quick-witted, uh, fantastic. I we've talked about him before. But, like I personally view him as the best color commentary guy. Um, it was mm-hmm. like between him and like Jesse Ventura, but. To me, I think it's kind of touching upon what you're saying, Chad, is that he could be just a real jerk. But he was he was all, basically he was too funny mm-hmm. and he could at times be over the top with how like much of a weasel he was. He was. Mm-hmm. So it edged into old, comedy, but also like uh almost like a self-deprecating, like wink and a nod. Like he was too ridiculous mm-hmm. for you to hate him. In my opinion, Right. like he, he could do like dastardly things. He could be like a real asshole where it's like, Oh, look at this guy. But he did it in such an almost like buffoonish way. Uh, it's hard to really take him seriously. And maybe part of that was his like interactions with gorilla. Like gorilla yeah. wouldn't have any of that. Uh, so <laughs> he would, he would, he would get into with Bobby. Um, And so it it was really endearing as part of the reason the charm of Bobby, but he was not, not like legitimately like you wanted to wring this guy's neck enough. As opposed to Cornette, who could just be like an absolute like snake, could stand the guy. Look at this fat little asshole running around, running his mouth, hitting people over the head with, uh, or in the back with with his tennis racket. What a jerk, can't stand this guy.
0: Well, I think what made... him. What made Cornette hateable, Mm. too, is when he was younger and trimmer is like he wasn't like totally an unattractive person either, which made him even more hateable because he was this kind of like he could preen himself like a pretty boy, even though he wasn't. But like this rich, like Mm. thinks he's a pretty boy. Yeah, guy, that's that's really, I think, what stood him apart, because he didn't especially like when he was with Bachwinkle he was good but I also feel like you know Bockwinkle could stand on his own but when he got to WWE he just I don't know it, WWE really never used him quite like I thought he should be used
2: mm-hmm. it never used him like he could have in terms of as a manager and that's that's really the other reason why I would put Cornette as number one and Bobby as number two uh, if, you, if you exclude someone like Bockwinkle was obviously like uh, the champ. He was, he was presented as like your main event star. I don't feel like Bobby, the managers he wrestled, had the success that Jim Cornette did, and I felt I felt Cornette was he he worked well with those people that he that he managed that that served as champions, and it they served in champions in a way that you felt like the way that I felt as a fan watching this that Cornette was a part of their success. He wasn't just like he was there to, mm. you know, run interference or things like that. I felt like he, he was part of the reason why they were champions and, and held on to those belts uh, and even won them in the first place. Look at like the guys that he, he managed over time and who were champions. He had the midnight express uh, two different versions of them. Mm-hmm. He man- he managed uh, the heavenly bodies. They were also like multi-time uh, tag champions uh, y- oh, Yokozuna He had the, the world title for a while yeah. He had manage, uh, He had his own little staple there In the WWE British Bulldog Owen Hart um, Who else? Uh, probably guys like From further back in the day
0: uh, His uh, first he, Sherry Martel was the first person he managed But I think that was short lived
2: Yeah uh, Dick Murdoch he did back in the day a little bit uh, Buddy Landell uh, big Bubba Rogers, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He he. There's a lot of guys that he he that were champions, and again, to me, the impression I I got or I felt was that he was part of the reason why they were champions. Like he, yeah, his interactions with them, him, you know, running interference for them. To me, like that, it even, mattered a lot.
0: Even like when we watched the Clash One match with the Fantastics, that was just that like. Absolute like brawl around ringside. Like Cornette wasn't just standing there. Cornette was fighting with them too.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, One other thing, and I forget about this sometimes, but on the on the odd occasion that a manager would get in a ring, like Heenan had gear to look like it's like no, Heenan knew how to wrestle. Cornette's gear, like the long sleeve red compression gear that he wore the the shorts (laughs) over and stuff made him look like such a geek that you hated him even more it it just seemed to me Cornette was willing to go the extra step to find a way to get you to just hate his
0: guts and um Mm. i will say this about Cornette. he has he is if we were to ever talk about working punches he would be up there in like the top 15 all time
1: Oh, gosh. I don't... It's been so long since I saw him throw a work work... punch.
0: He has great working punches, but he tells a great story when he and, um... He and Heyman had the tuxedo match at, um... Mm -hmm. At Great American Bash 89. Yeah. He was like, well, like, you know, he's telling the story, he's like, yeah, like, Heyman and I were like, well, we're gonna try and make this serious and do our best with it, and then he says he watches the playback, and the match starts, and... And Bob Coddles, they like, let's see some clothes fly. It just.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So, but yeah, I love that his his stupid, that stupid red and black <laughs> full bodysuit of his.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I, it was great about Jim Cornette. I mean, Bobby was an actual trained wrestler before he became a manager. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. He was he was more than willing to actually put on wrestling gear and wrestle in like the early WWE cool. when he was uh, still physically fit to and, do that and,
0: poor, and pre his neck injury. If you go watch like <laughs> like he did, Heenan was a wild bumper. Like that bumpy mm, takes oh, yeah. off of the Ken Patera thing with like mm. the the belt. Like that is an insane bump he took.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I did like that. You're right, like, the Jim Cornette would actually, like, get in there and kind of scrap sometimes. Like, he wasn't afraid to do that. Um, and as we all know, he at one point suffered legitimate, like, serious injuries. And what match did he do that in? Oh, God. Yes.
0: The Skywalkers?
2: The Skywalkers. He yes. busted both Wait. of his knees. Which was the Midnight Express against who?
0: The Road Warriors. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, man.
0: He blew Three out both years of his
2: later I am still okay that we got <laughs> wrong.
0: He blew out both of his hot. knees on that one. Oh. He also he, he tells a great story about when Paul Heyman brought um Condry and Rosen. He was supposed to blade for that. And mm-hmm. the blood didn't come right away, so he, he bladed a couple times and he's just a bloody mess and he goes back and Dusty's like, I told you to get a little color. Then you can get a little juice kid just, just a little juice This is TBS Cause, baby Cause he said And I've done I I mean we've all done that With paper cuts before but he's like Yeah I did the first one Nothing came out So I did it again Nothing And then the third one Is like And then the blood hit And I'm like yeah, yeah Like that happens sometimes
1: And he was wearing The white jacket So it popped mm-hmm. even more
0: Well that's um That's um Like especially in Memphis If a guy comes out To do a promo In a white shirt You know he's about To get stuck like a pig Yeah Yeah yeah. <laughs> especially Tommy Rich. If Tommy Rich is out there in a white shirt, he's about to...
1: He's gonna bleed. Yeah, oh, he's
0: gonna bleed,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, to- especially especially Tommy Rich. Tommy Rich comes out in white, you know what's about to happen.
1: Now, I, I want to also give... I... To give Heenan some credit, there's – because both Heenan and Cornette spent time on con- the commentary table as well. But Heenan was, I'm going to say far and away, better on commentary. Mm-hmm. Um Heenan also – he found a way of – on commentary, even if he was supposed to hate on someone, he found a way of putting them over. And as a manager, you, you, you can't really do that. You know, it, there's you're not supposed to, you know, right? Cor- like you're the mouthpiece for running someone down. But Heenan was very good at finding small ways to do that uh, Cornet- to put someone over that Cornette
0: way. did that once in JCP, and it was really smart because that's when they first came in and they were gearing up to take on the Rock and Roll Express. And he's doing guest commentary, and Tony's like, "Well, how are you guys going to counter that when they do the double drop kick?" And Cornette's like, "Well, like we're working on that. We haven't figured that out quite yet, but we'll 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 get there." <laughs> Yeah, which puts them over like I, in a good that's, way. Uh, he did that like
2: he's basically done that his entire career because I um you, you may have heard this but he did he would do some shoot interviews, oh God like 15 years back like in mm-hmm. the in the aughts like in the, the the early to mid aughts he was doing uh, like shoot interviews with it might have been I don't know if, I don't know if, it
0: was um it was, it was uh it was the pedo. It was that
2: the RF video stuff. Yeah. Oh, it was with Kainstein? Yeah. Okay. But he, yeah. it, it was, he'd shoot interviews and it wasn't just like, let me talk about my career. He did, he did some that was just like, uh, basically seminars practically mm-hmm. on pro wrestling and like how to work pro wrestling. And that was one of the things that he, he did this part of the seminar, part of the, the, the shoot, which makes perfect sense when you think about it. It's like, you don't want to go out there and trash your opponent like he's a chump because then if you, when you beat him, who fucking cares you beat a chump like yeah. of course you beat him that guy's like worthless he's like you go out there and if you're the heel especially obviously every time you give a promo like you can trash uh you can trash the face but you have to do it in a way that you're also building them up and you know you make you can make yourself look good but you have to have to make your opponent look good and that was a good that was a, a perfect example right there it's like well how are you going, how are you gonna con on the double draft because like ah and no, no, no we'll, we'll figure it out And it's like you didn't he didn't answer like he didn't have an answer for the double drag kick, Like yeah. which clearly like anyone watching, like implies, like, oh, he doesn't know Like he's in trouble there. But yeah. because he's the heel, he downplays it. It's like, ah, oh, no, no, I'm well, I'm sure it will be OK. Like, I'm sure we'll figure it out. It's like, will you uh, and other other things like you can go out there and do a promo on a guy where it's like, yeah, yeah. You know what? Like he's he's real good. Like he's. He's impressive. He's won championships, but you nah, know my guys are better. Like we'll, we'll we'll get it done. It's like you've you've built the guy up. You talk about how like great he is, but you're and doing the, the arrogant heel thing where you're like, oh well, my guys will we'll find a way. Like we'll beat him. It's like it, it's it's enough that people can appreciate it. Where it's like, okay, like he's he's worried actually. See, he, he he doesn't have a good answer for this guy. At the
1: very least, you don't tear them down. You no. could say I'm so great. All this sort of stuff. And then you look at someone, and you can talk trash about them. Hmm. Um, what was... I had a good example for just a second. But, or the backhanded...
0: Know, he, Bobby was the master of like the backhanded compliment.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. that's true. Um, uh, he, he, yeah, what was the one that stuck out for me? Bobby said, you know, he's the kind of guy that... Um, he has the kind of face that he... Yeah. What was it? it I, I'm going to screw it up. It wasn't the kind of face that only a mother could love, but, you know, there are a lot of mothers or something like that. I don't – can't remember the line now. Anyway, sorry. I, I, I tried to make it happen, and I couldn't get it to come together.
0: I always thought Gorilla was good at that because I think too many play-by-play guys bury the heels.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and people get really mad about things Gorilla points out, but sometimes I think it does put a guy over, like when they don't do something, it's like, oh come on, he should know better than to like to do that. Mhm.
1: It's it's part of um what I like on the the AEW commentary is like Excalibur is straight up play by play. <clears throat> he expresses <throat> no sentiment about who he's pulling for. Shivani. Shivani is like credit where it's due, but the guy's still a prick. So, you know, they've got, God, they've got some real professionals that keep, you know, they don't. um...
0: Except when it's dark and um, Excalibur and Taz are full on (laughs) Waldorf and Statler. (laughs) Because all they do is crack each other up the whole time.
1: That's true. Or or whenever you had negative one on there and you can't help but just enjoy how into it he
0: is you, you know what sort of mm. shocks me though is i hated taz and tna and wwe as a commentator and he is so much better in AEW. like he is legitimately hilarious
2: oh he's he's actually very very good yeah
0: because like there was something with i don't remember the exact quote but there was something like with um luchasaurus and he's like well you know he is a million years old
1: yeah yeah <laughs> he doesn't have to be dead serious all the time and he doesn't have someone yammering in his ear the whole time. So he's able to kind of relax into it and enjoy it a little more. I think
0: there is another one he did where they talked about someone having a mask. He's like, well, yeah, he likes to wear a mask. You know, masked men like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, he, he, I, I'm really glad he, he has more of a sense of humor and AEW.
1: So, uh going into the the rest of your the top 5 slots. Um, one of them that I think absolutely has to be in the conversation. We already mentioned one, but I'm going to talk about I bring this guy up first. We got to mention Jimmy Hard. Mhm. Cuz Jimmy was he was not as much the promo guy like Heenan or or Cornette, but he was very much the, I'm backing you up. I'm helping you out. You know, um, more on the manage side of the manager, like the supporting role manager, as opposed to the, um, we're equal partners. You do the ring stuff. I do the, the promo stuff. and,
0: Fun Go Jimmy ahead. Hart fact. So on Terry Funk's um very critically acclaimed album that only came out in Japan, <laughs> he did a cover of <laughs> We Hate School, which was a Hart's first family original from Memphis that I guess got some like got popular enough in Memphis that it got airplay on the radio. Mm. And Terry Funk did a cover of that for his album.
1: Is it kind of like how Good Old Boy... Was it Good Old Boys or Rap Is Crap got a little bit of airplay?
0: Yeah, kind of like that.
1: <laughs> I never would have seen that coming, but there it was. Oh, that was man. a catchy
0: song, though, and it was funny.
1: Well, uh, which one?
0: Rap Is Crap was funny. To me,
1: Good Old Boys sounded like a, a straight up country song. And like. A, not your stereotypical down country, but like a, a happy, you know, these are the kind of guys we are and we have a good time together song. Um, kind of got like some Blake Shelton vibes going. Hmm. But uh, that one stuck in my head more because the rap is crap one, at least to me, is like, okay, that's the gimmick. But the good old boys thing, I was like, well, that's, that's not bad. This isn't even my genre, and that's not bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Jimmy's. It's hard for me to expound on more than what I've already said, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop.
0: <laughs> yeah, you should look up the Jimmy Hart We Hate School video from Memphis because um, it has like. It has like sweet brown sugar and like the Iranian assassin like fake playing instruments and stuff. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, and then the other one that that we had mentioned already earlier was uh Paula Heyman. Um, because he he's done it across decades, right? Like multiple multiple decades of being a successful. Uh, manager mm-hmm. um, so I I would say which do you like more but that's not really fair because if you compare his more contemporary work to the Dangerous Alliance era stuff it, you can't really compare it because the more contemporary stuff he's being so directed to to lean into the catchphrases so I loved him um,
0: when he had his talk segment in the NWA like the danger zone he was like so good at that <laughs> yeah,
1: it would just God, be he him. Was it, it. At, it was
0: just him and like no, Jack Victory was standing there like looking intimidating.
1: Oh man. I forgot all about that.
0: And Jim Ross always had great intros. He's like speaking of like little stinkers, like let's go over to like <laughs> the danger zone with Paulie dangerously. Like it was great. Like Ross mm-hmm. people don't appreciate it. like Ross got some like good digs in back in the day. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So then, once uh. we get past um, Paulie dangerously, which I think the Dangerous Alliance is um, probably his best like manager work. The the Lesnar stuff he's good at, but I mean that I think that kind of got a little played out.
2: Yeah, it got a little played out. Although I, no, I think that they have kind of ruined um, Roman. He had started off it, the heel turn started off good, but now that it's like a year plus and to his title reign where he is just dominates every single person that like and it's
0: never I, loses I like it. even by like cat yeah. or DQ.
2: Not even yeah, never loses and and never really even like looks like he's going to lose which or to
0: even me is like that's even really get, get bettered in the feud at all. Yes. I uh,
2: I don't like that, but I did like how he switched over to Roman and that was like the big He'll turn reveal that Roman, you see Roman backstage. He's talking, and then like you, they, the camera pans out, and you see Paul Heyman be sitting there next to him. Like that was a great reveal, and I think he, Paul Heyman, is so good at his role. Like he makes it work as best he can. Um, he he can only do so much because again, when you're booking Roman like a, a a god, uh, he he can only do so much. To, to but he's fantastic. Um, I do think that Dangerous Alliance, because that's, like, my favorite, period. That's probably the best Heyman role, uh, in terms of, as a manager.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it does, after, after Heyman, it gets a bit more foggy about, um, you know, your, who goes where.
0: Because, yeah, that's where, like, I think your, your 70s era WWE managers come in, um, that's where you can make an argument for, like, Teddy Long, um, any number of guys, like Bill Alfonso, I think. Has oh, yeah,
2: Alfonso's people. a – I actually never liked Fonzie.
0: He's so annoying, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true.
0: Um, Sherry Martel, so... I think, has an argument. Um, mm-hmm. Robert Fuller.
2: Oh, Robert Buller was great. That's true. That's true. But you have to go. You have to go outside of like him just being like uh, the WCW. Colonel Robert Parker era. He had to go back to when he was running Stud Stable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that in? Was that in Mid South or what? I think he did it. I think
0: he did it all over those like Southern promotions.
1: Mm -hmm. You just move around and you can do the same shtick over again, and it just works.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, um, then you, you, got, you guys, like, you got Gary Hart and Skandor Akbar.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I just thinking of Robert Fuller and, uh, <laughs> the baby arm question and apple. Oh, God. I was, yeah.
0: wa- I was watching something and, and my wife's like, he needs to like, he, I can't deal with, like, he needs to deal with that bulge. I'm like, what do you want the man to do? Cut it off. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. For those who don't know, Robert Fuller, uh,
0: there's a reason Cromwell he's Arthur the happiest Arger man president. in wrestling.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he uh, uh, very well
1: endowed. Yes, I He's he a Tennessee stud for a reason. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I do have a- another long-term manager candidate that I would think was a-, a pretty strong contender for the fifth spot, um, and that's Don Callis. Because not only Callis has done you know good stuff as a hill manager more recently. Um, he had older. Uh, I mean, the Truth Commission wasn't great, but it, it pretty much lived and died off of his him promoing for him and stuff like that. And then his his ECW work too.
0: Oh yeah, I, I forgot thought- he was um, Cyrus the Virus and.
2: Yep. Well, his work with even just this, this year with uh, with Kenny Omega has been good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: My wife hates his guts so much. She looked. Yeah, it, it, she would look at just not even hearing him talk, but she would see him on screen and look at him in like his. He's either powder blue or his pink suit, and you know mm. his shaved head and his weird sunglasses, and she'd go, look, it's Junior Pitbull. He mm. He's out there thinking people think he's cool, and I'm just thinking, hey, he's so good at this. And he was so obnoxious, because he would act like he's trying to compliment you. And he was just like, I want to punch you in the throat, you little shit.
0: Also, um, Father James Mitchell would be a good candidate.
1: Yeah, James Mitchell's a really good candidate.
0: He was like, um, he got in because he was like, uh, um, he's like a karaoke guy that would like insult people.
1: I didn't know that was a thing.
0: But there's a, there's a Smoky Mountain, there's a Smoky Mountain, um, <laughs> Smoky Mountain promo where he calls the dirty white girl the, that parking lot philatrix and I laugh every time <laughs> wow. I hear it. <laughs> oh. Wow! <laughs> uh, I
2: actually I liked him a lot in ECW. Um, I liked his tag I like the tag team with Tajiri and Mikey yeah. that was. I felt like a really underrated tag team that people kind of forget about.
0: Yeah, that yeah, was a good
1: tag team. True. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, you were talking about James Mitchell. My, I, the first memory I have of him is being James Vandenberg with Wrath and Mortis, and he, he promoted for them. They just didn't get a lot of airtime to work with. So I don't know. That's not maybe not being fair. Here's one that I have not heard you throw yet, Brad that I would put is like, the the Jimmy Hart style, even though he's not been as prominent. Uh, he wasn't as prominent and, you know, didn't work as high up the card, but uh, Sonny Ono.
0: You know, um, he did some good things, like he, kicking people on the outside, I feel, is, is good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I feel like the... Um, doing the selfie with his clients when they were coming out to the ring would actually go over a lot better than it would have in the nineties. Oddly ahead of its time. Wasn't yeah, it? actually that really is. Um, but like he was actually an okay promo. I'm kind of underselling him there.
1: I don't remember his promo work a lot, but I, I remember his, his character work and like, uh, managing Eugene Nagata when Ultimo Dragon was looking for revenge against him and stuff like that. He
0: had Psychosis too, and he and <laughs> Ultimo had the falling out. He brought Psychosis in immediately to um go after him.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he he had kind of built a little crew, and I can't remember who all was part of
0: it. It was like Psychosis, Laparca, and Eugene Nagata were okay the ones I remember.
1: I can't help but think there was somebody else, but I don't know who it was.
0: Yeah, there might have been someone else. I I don't think...
2: I don't think Kasiashi was...
0: That was way later. He might have managed him, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think Kayashi was later. But, yeah... I get so fuzzy on Kaz Hayashi's place for some reason. Like, I remember him, but I'm super fuzzy on where he fits in the timeline. he was kind of
0: like a low-end jobber to the stars for a long time before they started, like, to actually push him.
1: Mm-hmm. He uh, had a on finish, didn't he? I believe so. Yeah.
0: What about, let's see, is there anyone else really missing? Um... Because you can't really, you can't really, um, the problem is, like, the the art of the manager was really lost until a couple years ago.
1: It it seems like, well, okay, here's another one that we haven't seen as much out of. uh, But Sonny, as a manager, and and as a great heel, um, but, you know, she went through a stretch in WWF where she wasn't. Like, her managing wasn't like the Legion of Doom 2000 thing. She didn't really do much.
0: No, and that was kind of a DOA gimmick, anyway.
1: Yeah. It, it was unnecessary. It was just like, oh, they got new gear. It's like, um. Is that what we're going with here?
0: It was like, hey, look, uh, we would up the the Legion of Doom for new action figures.
1: Yeah. That's true. Um,. And another recent person we could put down on, we mentioned before, but Taz, Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. as a,
0: uh, yeah, I the only reason I didn't bring him up is, um, just he does not have the body of work that a lot of those other guys have.
1: That's fair. I mean, he didn't really start managing until much, uh, much later on, relatively.
0: Yeah, but he's he's good for what he does. Like he's really yeah. good at
1: it. He does a good job. Um, see, the problem I think that comes to, is there are some people that have the impression that being a manager is easy. And before I got in the ring while I was training, I was managing. Technically I was a bodyguard, but you know, man, there's just different flavors of manager, right?
0: I feel like a bodyguard has a bodyguard. If you're not getting physically involved as a bodyguard, you're doing it wrong, whereas a manager, you don't always have to get physically involved. I also feel like in in the other aspect, if you're a manager and you're not like smacking on the ring and yelling stuff and cheering your guy on, you're doing it wrong. But a bodyguard doesn't have to do that.
1: Yeah, the the bodyguard's not supposed to have a bigger personality than the person he's attached to. Unless you're getting ready to put that bodyguard in the ring. Uh, and, you know, the part of the manager's job is the verbal stuff. My kind of arc was being the bodyguard and having weapons everywhere. Finally, it got to a point where, the, you know, they demanded I get in the ring and be part of it. And so I did. That was the, the arc of turning me from a ringside guy into a wrestler and I stepped up, uh, but they still had to, you know, divest me of weapons before matches would start. So I had this kind of transit transition and I went and for the longest time. I believe it or not. I didn't talk, never said a word, just stood there tolerating pretty much everybody else in the company wearing a lot of black, either wearing bulky clothes or something like that. And, looking imposing and, and then you know i would try and either i would try and jump the faces and mow them down or i'd try and jump the faces and get hoodwinked and run into the post or or you know have something backfire on me or something like like i i being the physical presence i was never not a threat but it was a question was the face cagey enough to to get around me but being a being a manager is a little different because it's – you want to get the manager in the ring occasionally so he can get a little bit of comeuppance, but not all the time.
0: No, yeah, because then it's old hat if the manager is getting beat up every match.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we go back to the, the cornet and the red and black ring gear thing. Like, that came up so rarely – and then it does come up and you're like, oh, he he is getting in the ring, right?
2: Yeah. 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 We uh we're forgetting the best manager of all time. Oh, who's that? That would be Paul Jones.
0: <laughs> Paul <laughs> oh, Jones army yes.
2: and their two hundred and fifty year feud with uh Jimmy Dalian.
0: <laughs> it's still going on, I believe. <laughs> it's still going on.
1: That's not where I thought you were going, Matt.
0: Yeah, I was wondering where you you're going. I don't know if you're going serious or you're going like, um, funny on us.
2: Well, it I was uh, you... it was the funny one, but I
1: thought you were gonna go super serious and talk about another bodyguard and bring up Hook. Huh. Hook. Is Hook, Hook is
0: a bodyguard eye. or just a hanger-on? Just like a second, I would argue. I would yeah, argue
2: he was a second. That's fair. But, but hook, you got to find a good way
1: they, to vocalize the all-caps thing. Yes, yeah. you're right. Absolutely a star in the making.
0: He got a lot of buzz for just getting, like, his first match. That's how you get buzz. I don't know why WWE doesn't do that more.
1: Hey, to hear, um, I don't think it was Alvarez. I think it was Oreo the Orca. Talk about it on the <laughs> Observer <laughs> radio show.
0: Oh, was he did he have to that. wear the whale suit when he talked about this?
2: I yes, think so uh, Wait, well, I, I actually saw a video where he was talking about the hook thing without the suit okay okay, okay. That, no, you're
1: right
0: so no, he, he
1: he he wore the orc suit to interview Dan mm. <laughs>
0: you know, yeah, you know, he should have done the ultimate like irony and been like, you know what? I like doing the podcast in the suit. It's stained mm. um
1: he didn't like it cuz he couldn't mic it very well. Oh. Cuz you know, it, if you have not seen it, it's a heck of a suit to wear, but uh he couldn't he couldn't mic it very easily. But um yeah, he talked about it's like if if you were to compare Hooks debut where he had all these pieces figured out with a debut on Raw, they he would not have half the characterization that he did in this what 5-6 minute squash match. Yep. It just go out there do your thing you're going over get yourself over and of course you know given that you know who his dad is and how how he's been like raised on this um, of course
0: but even um but but like to compare though even like fuego has more character development and personality than like your average WWE mid carter has now.
2: Yeah, the the hook the hook debut, unfortunately, for uh this person was not great for the, the discourse on uh Dominic Mysterio. He was people were just like laugh like just bashing him.
0: Well because it is for trying like you posted that bad take where someone's like he's not as good as Dominic Mysterio, and people were really like, "No, Dominic sucks."
2: I, I personally don't think Dominic like sucks. Like he's he's not, not good, salvageable, but he he's not in the right environment. And I understand like why he's there because like Ray Mysterio wanted his son to have a job, and you have in theory you have no better chance than uh, WWE where they have literally billions of dollars they have at least a billion dollars to do whatever but (sighs) he's just not progressing there it's bad
0: my 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 standing is i don't think he's the worst wrestler ever but for the people mm -hmm. he's surrounded by and the people he's worked with you would think just by osmosis that he'd be better than he is like i i know Mm -hmm. we we dog on like seth rollins and stuff but he's worked matches with seth rollins you'd think like for his style of like wrestling he would learn and he just doesn't like, he just well, doesn't seem to like improve.
1: I think mm. Dominic is, he's fine, but I think what's handcuffing him and his improvement is that he is in it. He was his, in, his first thing was to be in an environment working on a semi main event level in a style that is very focused on a handful of signature spots, hitting those big signatures. Like it is not focused on if you are not already a good wrestler, you're not going to thrive in it. And then just having, keeping someone, you know, slugging away at that very thing means they're not going to improve because, you know, okay. Rollins, came up through like came up through ring of honor and all and fcw and that sort of stuff before and before he got to where he is moxley same kind of thing like I'll, there are it, vanishingly few people on the main roster that are homegrown wwe from from first time they step in the ring till now they're on the big shows
0: and if they they are they're terrible Like you get Mm -hmm. Mojo Raleigh is what you get if they're like a complete product of the WWE environment.
1: So they are not they are trained to work WWE style. It's like if you were weightlifting, but you're only only using machines and that works the major muscle groups. You're not improving the connective tissue that goes with those muscle groups. So stuff's going to tear because you don't have the little pieces that fill in and hold it together. And Dominic's not working in a style that has him do that. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Like I, I think Dominic's fine. And honestly, if he, if if Dominic got the the Ty Conti, mm. and and went somewhere where they're like, okay, look, man, we we got to fix this, and worked with him real hard to get that get that that base. I don't want to say basics, but to get that uh, background stuff all filled in, I think he'd have a very high ceiling.
0: But I think what hurts him in a lot of the WWE projects is Dom makes a couple years in now. And like some of their other Mm -hmm. project people are a couple years in. And then you have like you go and you watch like New Japan where like a guy out of the dojo working his like sixth match is technically more competent than someone that's been doing it for years. It really it, or even Hook who is technically more competent than people that have been doing it for 3 years like it really <laughs> it speaks poorly of your system when that happens.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't put I do not put blame on Dominic here. And the problem is that oh. Dominic cannot work the style his father works so and Ray has been so uh unique in his style for so long that he can't... It, it's it's hard to go back and try and, and figure all that stuff out from back here. So he he's not getting the support he needs to really flourish.
0: I don't think... If he wasn't a Mysterio, though, I also think he would just be some SoCal nobody that never necessarily gets anywhere either. Because he just... He does not – and this is – I'm not trying to hate on the guy. I just think he's missing some key ingredients that you need to, like, be at the level he's at. hmm And, um, yeah, like – because, like, if you look at him, like, say versus Braun Breaker, like, Braun Breaker is obviously, like, just a genetic freak and an athlete. So he's already got, like, a better a better shot. But he also has, like, presence and charisma, and Dominic really does not have those. He doesn't have that it factor either. He's kind of just a guy. Uh,
2: Braun Breaker is is probably like the, the good metric to use because he, not just comes off as a star, he just comes off like just an absolute like monster, and he seems like a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and and and, and he's still green, but overall like a a much better worker than I would say Dominic is.
0: You understand I've, where his where where bronze rough patches are. You can say, "Okay, that's just uh, going to that's going to get fixed with repetition and time." Whereas Dominic uh, you're kind of just like, "Eh, like I think he could get better, but I don't see like he's never going to be like a big name." Yeah. I th-
1: I think it's I don't think that we can accurately gauge Dominic's potential because you know, he's, it's kind of being in this intimidating spot. It's like, Oh, you just got started. Hey, you're going to be like main eventing nationally televised shows against former champions. Um, before you've got all that stuff figured out, it's like, you know, if, if he had had a more, I guess, traditional start, then he may have he may have flourished but i i don't feel like we can really judge his potential very well based on his circumstances
0: i don't know shad he's no hook
1: he's no <laughs> hook it, it's hard to, to to really enunciate the capitalization um but it, it, that's he's not hook but I mean, Dominic also doesn't really have a gimmick aside from, you know, being Ray's son, whereas Hook has this he's
2: got his gimmick figured. So well, it, that he allegedly is the one who came up with a lot of stuff. his the way he's presented himself, like his mannerisms at his debut match, uh his music, that's apparently all him.
1: And that's great. Mm-hmm. He has he has learned yeah I know he's learned from his dad, but it would not shock me if he has also learned from a lot of his dad's friends these little things to pick up on and 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 being able to build his own gimmick as opposed to this is what you're going to do now. go do it and get over
0: well i think that i think the I think the difference between him and Dominic too is is Hook seems to really have a creative voice that he's expressing. And I know you don't mm-hmm. get that as much in WWE, but Dominic just feels like he's doing what he's told and there's no, like, passion or his own voice or touches in there, whereas Hook feels <laughs> like he's expressing himself.
1: This is his baby. It's going to go the way he wants it yeah. to. Yeah. As opposed, you're going to go out there and, and you and your dad are going to are gonna do flippy shit. It's going to be good shit. It's, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's sound even that joke sounds exhausting.
0: It is exhausting, especially after the last like six months with WWE, I think. Yeah.
1: So are there any other managers we want to get uh get out on the page a little bit?
0: No, I'll remember one like five minutes after the show ends and be <laughs> yeah. pissed off.
2: That's that's the way that that's the way this goes, yeah. Yeah.
1: So okay, uh, everybody out there, uh, we'd love to who oh. didn't
2: miss. Wait, go ahead, Matt. Two people, since we were talking about Ring of Honor, uh, two people that we should probably mention, uh, Prince Nana uh, oh. and, and the late, great uh, Sweet and Sour Larry Sweeney.
0: Yep, those are good oh, ones. Cool. Uh, Prince N- Nana just showed up in um, AEW for us. Yeah. M- he was ma- mm. managing Mike Vernon. I don't remember who the other guy was. Who was the other guy? Eh, I'll remember it later.
1: I, I do. I love... Uh, AEW, the, another thing I love about AEW's like tendency to lean on factions is the uh, you have an opportunity for managers to really uh, get involved and, and kind of do some do some standout stuff. Uh, so I, I there's just so much about faction play that I like. Yeah, um, it, just so many potential things you can do with it, and it gives managers opportunities as much as it does wrestlers okay i think i think we're going to end up calling it here folks i know we missed somebody tell us on our social media who did we miss who did we commit the grievous sin of of forgetting in time to put in this episode um we would love to hear from you on our social media thank you for joining us for this episode Uh, Merry Christmas Happy Holiday Happy New Year All that good stuff And folks We'll catch you next time